This morning, as we come to these moments of worship, I give thanks to God for the reading of Psalm 145 this morning. It stirred my soul. But it's been stirring my soul. For in that wonderful, rich psalm, there is this really glorious expression by the psalmist of praise for God. There are wonderful expressions of worship in that psalm. It is a psalm that leads us into worship. It is a psalm that prompts us into worship and, and hopefully even provokes us into worship. It would be a worthy evening conversation to sit around a dinner table with a group of folks over a glass of iced tea. You notice I didn't say coffee. <laughs> over a glass of iced tea and, and ask questions like, what is worship? Why worship? Why do you come to worship? What expectations do you have for worship? What do you hope for from worship? What do you long for from worship? Each of those questions is valuable and each of them deserve our attention. It would be a worthy conversation with the same group of friends if God were sitting at the table to ask the same questions of God. What is worship? Why worship? Why does God come to worship? What expectations does God have for worship? What does God hope for from worship? What does God long for from worship? And I wonder if the answers to the first set of questions would be different if we heard God's answers first. This morning we began a new five-week series on worship, which seems to be a, a natural follow-on to the series on the Spirit that we just concluded two weeks ago. But many of you have read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and, and a reading of the Bible from Genesis in the beginning to Revelation in the conclusion underscores the significance of worship, worship of God and with God, worship with God for those who live in covenant with the God of creation, for those who worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Thus it seems natural and valuable for us to spend these weeks together. And I would just say that we recognize and we appreciate two dimensions of worship that all of life is worship. And that communal worship, such as this morning, is equally valuable and is the focus of this series. The whys, the disciplines, the practices, and the hopes of God for communal worship. It is also to remind us that it is scripture itself that calls us to worship. Hebrews 10, 25 reminds us do not give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, 
but gather and encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. But before we begin our exploration of communal worship, let's look briefly at life as worship. Our friends in the Reformed tradition remind us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that the chief end of man is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. It's part of our Wesleyan tradition that worship is part of the process of sanctification. And you may remember that Pastor Brad reminded us that sanctification is the work of the Spirit at work in us on a continual basis to shape us increasingly and evermore into the likeness of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 is frequently cited as a New Testament passage that supports the concept that one's life is to be given to worship. Hear these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The idea that all of life is worship is consistent across Christian tradition, Catholic tradition, Reformed theology, Wesleyan theology, it is part of our ethos of following Jesus, that our lives are given to worship in all that we do. And so it is we welcome such thinking among the followers of Jesus. But in these next few weeks, we want to focus on worship in the context of community or communal worship against the backdrop of the life of worship. To look at the acts of worship expressed as a gathered community of faith, that unique time and space given to the focus and attention to the things of God. The reading of Psalm 145 captured a broad range of worship experiences, adulation, gratitude, praise, witness, grace and mercy, the hope of the kingdom that is coming, the evidence of God's presence in creation, care for the broken and the weak, the presence of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord, and a call for every creature to praise the Lord. The psalmist's eloquence prompts us to lift our own minds and hearts in worship. So I wanna give you an assignment. This is one of those things that will benefit you if you just do what you're told. Every time I say that, some of you just sort of go like this. And your rebellious child appears. But think about this. I encourage you to read Psalm 145 each day this coming week. In the morning, in the evening, whenever it's convenient for you, but read it every day this week. Let it shape you. Let it whisper to you. Let it prepare you for this communal worship 
on next Sunday, let it define your life as worship. The psalmist's expression of worship in Psalm 145 exemplifies what it means to embrace being created to worship. The account of creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 reveals God's intention in the creation of Adam and Eve that all of life was to be lived in God's presence and provision. That all of life was to be lived in intimate relationship between God and humanity. Adam and Eve were created to worship. But then in Genesis chapter 3, a choice is made. A choice is made to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I would suggest that the act of eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was not the sin. But the sin of an Adam and Eve was choosing to worship their own self-interest over the interests of their creator. Let that soak in just a little bit. The sin of Adam and Eve was to worship their own self-interest over the interests of the Creator. The fall of Adam and Eve was a disruption of what it meant to be created for worship. That what God had offered and provided in the perfect context of the Garden of Eden had been broken by a choice so that now worship would be practiced outside the garden. That worship would be practiced in the context of fallen humanity, in the context of sinful choices. It is for that very reason that communal worship is so valuable and so necessary Given that you and I cannot escape the inherited sin of Genesis chapter 3, we are, after all, all born with inherited sin. The question is, will we worship God or will we worship our own wisdom and choices? Brent Peterson suggests that Christian communal worship is the glorification of God and the sanctification of humanity as a divine human event where God offers transformation and healing. Where God offers transformation and healing in a divine human event. In the light of Psalm 145 and Romans 12, verses one to two, let's explore the divine side of this divine human event known as communal worship. I would suggest to us this morning that communal worship is an act of creation with the ever-present possibility of spirit-guided transformation. Pregnant with the idea that God, in the place of worship, can draw us out of our preoccupation with self to a place closer to him from which we cannot return. Think about that moment and that idea, the possibility that God in the communal place of worship 
could draw you out of your own preoccupation and draw you to a place from which you could not return, from which you would not want to return, where God has so drawn you out of your self-preoccupation to a place in God's presence transforming you in such a way that you find that to be so inviting and so beckoning, there's no desire to go back. Communal worship makes that possible. Is it the only place? No, but it may well be the most likely place. Communal worship is an expression of the kingdom of heaven yet to be realized that the creator God through the work of the spirit breathes life into communal worship. It is the breath of God's creative power through the work of the spirit that makes each time of communal worship unique. Think about it. Every time we worship, it's different than the last time. Oh, it may follow the same pattern two hymns, a prayer, an offering, and a sermon. Three choruses, one hymn, a prayer, an offering, and a sermon. Or whatever pattern it may take. And maybe it's the same pattern, but the work of the Spirit is unique and different in every service. And the work of the Spirit is different and unique in every service because you and I are different from one week to the next. And where we have been preoccupied in the previous week is different than where it was in the previous week. And the context of the world and the sinfulness which we encounter and we live in every week needs the presence of God in the worshiping community together in this unique moment every time we gather it may look like the same but it is unique and different every week second communal worship is an expression of god's love for communal worship is a replication of god's creation of a community of faith that began in mount sinai remember the gathering of god with the people of israel after he had brought them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God gathers them there with Moses, and God gives to them his covenant. God gives to them the law. God gives to them how the community will function together. God guides them for life. And communal worship is a recreation of that event that God comes and shapes and creates a community of faith that functions together, in which worship together brings attributes and gifts of grace and mercy that don't happen in our own private worship. It is the space in which life and the burdens of life are shared together 
It is the acknowledgement of the names in the worship folder and on the screen during prayer time are those that we are to remember, not just on this day, but on every day. It is the opportunity for us to kneel at these altars and to be anointed by members of the faith community or to pray at this altar and to be acknowledged by members of the faith community who observe your presence at the altar and who lift you up in their time of prayer. It is the opportunity for us to greet one another and to encourage one another, to acknowledge one another and to give expressions of appreciation for one another, to say, I, I give thanks to God for you. Your presence enriches my life, you touch my life. You, I am better, my life is more robust because of your presence in this place and in my life. Communal worship, like that day on Mount Sinai, is a reminder to us as a community and as individuals that God has drawn us out of slavery to sin and that God calls us forward and like that community, God goes with us and goes before us every day so that we might be transformed and sanctified more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Third, communal worship is a gift of divine encouragement. the privilege of witnessing the divine human event where people around you and I are being transferred and healed is a remarkable experience. How many of you remember when you first came to a community of faith? Let me see your hand. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Some of you, like me, you were born in the church. You know, you were transported from the hospital to the sanctuary. I understand that. But I want you to think about how that initiating event when you came to a community of faith has shaped you. Has it been perfect? Absolutely not. Have you been perfect? I didn't say that, you did. And yes, sometimes it's traumatic. And God forgive us. And if you've been traumatized in a church, I ask your forgiveness. On behalf of those who traumatized you. But if you're still here, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for your faith. My prayer for you is for your healing. But think in the ways and the days that have passed, how the Spirit of God has met you often in the place of communal worship and formed you and shaped you and transformed you 
through the goodness and mercy of God and through the goodness and mercy of God's people. Because sometimes, because you're human, you say and do dumb things. I didn't ask for testimony, but... And yet, in spite of those things, people accept us and welcome us and care for us and love us just for the way we are, just as we come. There's that old invitation hymn that we have sung in years gone by, just as I am without one plea. And often we sing that song as if to God, but sometimes we ought to sing it to the congregation. As a, as a witness to the congregation, that you have me just as I am. And that you love me just as I am. And that you have welcomed me just as I am. And I'm still here just as I am. For God has found me just as I am. And so in loving one another just as we are, we are reflecting the love and care of God that we have received from the Spirit. And we become the hope of the kingdom of heaven that is to come. And it gets lived out in today, here in this place. It is a gift of divine encouragement and inspires faith in God, and it is contagious. Sometimes, every once in a while, someone may say to you, you're different, I'd like to know why that is. And we might promptly say, well, Jesus is part of my life. The second half of that answer could well be, I'm part of a community that loves me and shapes me, that accepts me just as I am. And it is in the communal worship setting that we are encouraged by the liturgy of song and prayer and giving, the reading of the word, the teaching of the word, the presence of others who help carry our burdens of life, and by the spoken witness of others. Eugene Peterson summarizes worship this way. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because God is confined to time and place, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't intentionally, deliberately, interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all other times and in all other places. Communal worship is a deliberate interruption of our self-preoccupation. I like that. And there are times, friends, when it is a deliberate choice and a discipline on Sunday morning to rise and you you know, I'd really like to stay home. Could I confess to you, there are days as a pastor I say, I would really like to stay home. 
not because of you, but because on that day I'm not in the mood. And yet even when I was not pastoring, when those moments came, we would say, you know, if there's some reason I'm not wanting to go, then there's some reason I need to be there. Because the Spirit of God has something for me today in the worship setting, in the liturgy, in the conversation with someone else in the community of faith. Or, hear this, people. Or, someone there needs my presence. Needs your warmth, needs your greeting, needs your handshake, needs your encouragement, needs your smile. You see, friends, worship isn't just about us. Our decision to interrupt ourselves to attend to the presence of God in communal worship is a choice to be transformed. Thanks be to God. Next week, we're going to explore the human side of the divine human interaction. What's our role? How do we participate? What does God expect of us, hope for us? And let it come to you in those days. Let's stand together. Receive this benediction. And now may the God of heaven transform you in response to your choice to be interrupted. And may the God of creation shape all of your worship this week until we return together. And all of God's people said, amen.